0: President Trump's impeachment trial is about to begin. But the most important story of the day is not the Senate charade that will acquit the president. Our political rot runs way deeper, all the way back to the motherland, where Queen Elizabeth is about to de Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. We will examine why that matters. We will examine why with great power comes great responsibility. Then the Women's March flops. Elizabeth Warren continues her months-long campaign collapse and the New York Times comes out with its presidential endorsements, plural, somehow, because the New York Times doesn't know what a presidential endorsement is. We will examine the dumbest article on the internet today, all that and more. I'm Michael Knowles and this is The Michael Knowles Show. There is so much to get to, so we are going to fly through it we will get to impeachment we have to get to impeachment there are details you need to know going into impeachment week however the most important story of the day is not impeachment the more important story is how we got impeachment how we got this culture of complaint how we got this culture of entitlement if you want to understand how we got this shallow news cycle this shallow politics all the way to impeachment the most important story is all the way across the Atlantic in the United Kingdom. The most important story is about the artist formerly known as Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. The most important story is how with great privilege comes great responsibility. So the, the Sussexes, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, they announce that they're going to leave the royal family in some way. According to the press release they put out, they want to keep all the perks of being royals. They want the nice houses and they want the fancy titles and they want the global celebrity, but they don't want the downside to being royals. They don't want to have to appear at public functions. They don't want to have to give access to the British press when they don't want to. They don't want to be, as one a royal insider or commentator said, civil servants with a tiara on. They don't want all of that. Now. They issue this statement, they say they're going to leave the royal family, Queen Elizabeth is totally blindsided by it, they have a big family meeting to hash out how this is going to work, and the Queen made the right decision, which is to say, the these royals, uh, Harry and, and Meghan, cannot keep the perks of the job if they're not going to do the job itself. It's like any millennial who's going to get his first job after college, who says, yeah, great, I want that nice paycheck. And I want a really cushy corner office with a couch over here. But I'm probably going to roll in maybe 11 o'clock. And I don't want to do all that like paperwork and stuff. I, I think I'll come in here, play some video games, maybe take a two-hour lunch, and then get out of here. Make sure you get that direct deposit so that I don't need to go to the bank, because I just want the money to go straight into my wallet. That is what the, the royals are behaving like. And so Queen Elizabeth said, no, 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 my dears, no. They are being stripped of their royal titles, so His Royal Highness or Her Her Royal Highness, that's going away. They're going to have to pay back the British public for their taxpayer renovated castle. They're going to lose virtually all of the perks of the job. The liberal media in the US and in the UK are saying that this is about racism. They're saying that that actually it's not about the fact that they don't want to do their jobs, they don't want to have any royal duties and they, they want all the perks. It's really about how much the British people and probably the Americans too, hate Meghan Markle because she's black. Of course, many people don't even know that Meghan Markle is is part black because she, she looks very fair skinned. But that's, of course the left always wants to claim that racism is the cause of every problem. Meghan Markle's father, from whom she is estranged and who I think she's currently suing or vice versa, said that this is not about racism. What this is really about is this spoiled child uh, tarnishing the royal family. So Meghan Markle's father said, quote, It's disappointing because she actually got every girl's dream. Every young girl wants to become a princess. And she got that, and now she's tossing that away. It looks like she's tossing that away for money. This is like one of the greatest long-living institutions ever, referring to the British monarchy. They are destroying it. They are cheapening it. They are making it shabby. And it's, it's difficult to disagree with that. She got every girl's dream, right? You imagine that you can, are going to be whisked away and marry Prince Charming. Importantly, he's a prince in, whenever you talk about that. And then she realized she doesn't want the reality of being a, a princess. She doesn't want the job. She'd rather play a princess. On TV she'd rather work as an actress she'd rather have her own money and have control over her life unlike the royals who really don't have a ton of control over their lives according to a close friend of Meghan Markle who was speaking to the Daily Mail she said this is this is the friend Meghan felt she had to escape because living within the royal confines was soul-crushing Meghan's friend said that that Meghan can now finally breathe since leaving and has free reign over her life again and that Meghan felt that living within the royal family uh, was a toxic environment and she wanted to leave uh, in part for the benefit of her son. It was, it was constraining and now she gets to be in control of her life. She, this is the, the money quote. She felt like she couldn't be the best mother to Archie if she wasn't being her true authentic self. And she felt she couldn't do that within the royal confines. Authenticity following your true desire. Forget about this duty. Forget about what the palace is foisting on the royals. Forget about what society is foisting on us. We, We shouldn't be born with these obligations and these duties. We should just be able to pursue our true authentic selves who we know we are deep, deep down. This is a rot that runs in the UK, it runs in America, it runs all across the West, which is the cult of the self. The idea that my true self, is actually just my own individual desires. I am the sum total of my individual desires. Any constraints are bad, and therefore we need to push them away. Whether those constraints are moral, whether they're sexual, whether they're social, whether they're official, whether they're political, whatever. You gotta get rid of the constraints because we need to pursue our own desires. That is a very modern idea of our true selves, the, the, that's a very liberal idea of our true selves. The conservative idea, of course, is not that we're just popping into existence as some free-floating atoms out there in the universe, and we have all our desires and no one can tell us what to do. The, the conservative idea is that we're born into a family, in a place, in a time, in a community, in a city, in a state, in a country. And we have obligations. We have bonds of affection and loyalty. We actually do owe people something. Our life is not our own, I didn't create my life, I'm not responsible for popping into this world and I owe something to my parents, I owe something to my community, I owe something to my God and I'm going to try to fulfill those obligations. With privilege comes duty, comes responsibility. And that's true if you're in Buckingham Palace and it's true if you're on the street somewhere in New York. It is a privilege to be alive, it is a privilege to live in this time and in this place, and we have an obligation for that. I'll give you a, another example of wanting the perks without the responsibility. There's a guy who I, I've tried not to criticize him because he, clearly he's got a, a few things, a couple screws loose. I don't know what's going on. He's a blue check mark named David Leavitt, kind of an anti-Trump tweeter, tweets a lot about politics. He went on a Twitter rampage over the weekend because he was in a Target store and he wanted to buy an electric toothbrush electric toothbrushes are expensive cost what 50 100 bucks usually and he saw that they had a display model that was priced at one cent because you're not going to buy the display model right so he saw one cent for the electric toothbrush he goes he said okay i want to pay one cent for this and the cashier said oh that's obviously a typo you're it, it costs more than one cent for a toothbrush and he has a meltdown he posts a picture of this poor girl, her name is Tori, it's just like this young girl working at Target, posts a picture of her on the internet, spreads her face all over to his followers, calls the cops on Target, has an investigation to get to the bottom of this one cent electric toothbrush. You see this a lot with blue check marks. When, whenever any blue check mark on Twitter is inconvenienced, they just start complaining about it all the time. I'm sure I've done it too, everybody does it. It, that's an abuse of power you, you should not do that even the even the social power of having a little blue check mark or having a lot of followers on Twitter or Instagram there is a responsibility that comes along with that it's not just about getting discounts and getting retail workers to succumb to your will there is a, a social responsibility for how you share information there's a social responsibility for how you interact with people the rules are not merely suspended because you have desires. This goes all the way through our presidential race, and especially where the rot really lies in America. Obviously, we don't have royals here. It doesn't lie in some palace or castle. It doesn't even primarily lie in D.C. It lies in our media, who abuse their power more than anybody. We will get to that in a second. First, I want to thank our friends over at Tommy John's. Let me tell you guys, I'm very particular about the way that I dress and the way that I feel underneath what I put on when I dress. Tommy John's are the best boxers I have ever worn. When it comes to comfort, down below, there is underwear, there are boxers, and then there's Tommy John, the revolutionary clothing brand that has redefined comfort for Americans everywhere including me. I, I, there is such a difference between your run-of-the-mill boxer shorts that you pick up at the store and Tommy John's. Tommy John focuses on the three F's, fabric, fit, and function. Tommy John obsesses over every little detail and stitch by using proprietary fabrics that perform like nothing you have ever worn before. It's comfortable, the waistbands are great, really, really soft, really, really light. It's, it's just phenomenal. I've, I've, never, I've never worn better shorts. Tommy John is so confident that if you don't love your first pair, you can get a full refund with their best pair you'll ever wear or it's free guarantee. If you would prefer to shop uh, in stores and brick and mortar, there are 1,200 retail locations across the country, including Nordstrom stores nationwide. Tommy John, no adjustment needed whatsoever. Once you go Tommy John, you will not go back. I'm promising you that. Hurry to TommyJohn.com slash Knowles. Right now, you get 20% off your first order. You're welcome. That's TommyJohn.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, 20% off your first order. TommyJohn.com slash Knowles. All right, I want to do a quick little roundup on just some of the events that have gone on in D.C., the events that the news are going to be talking about, and then we will see the true rotten corruption of the mainstream media, their absolute abuse of power. So... The women's march happened this weekend. Didn't notice it, me neither. (laughs) Nobody went, the thing absolutely collapsed in its attendance. So it it was estimated that in in 2017, the first year of the women's march, there were 3.3 to 5.3 million people who turned out in cities around the country. So not just Washington, Washington was probably under a million, but all around the country, there were a bunch of women's marches. It may have been the largest single day protest in U.S. history. The next year, by 2018, those numbers dropped to 1.9 million to 2.6 million. So they dropped by half. In 2019, that dropped to 676,000 to 747,000 estimated. This year, I think it was like a dozen people. I mean, just nobody showed up to this thing. It barely made a blip. There's no coverage of that. Next weekend, we're going to have the March for Life, and there are going to be a lot of people at the March for Life in D.C., I promise you that. There will be a lot of people at the March for Life across the country. The mainstream media don't want to cover it. They would rather focus on events like the Women's March, which really has nothing to do with women per se. It's just all about anti-Trump, anti-conservatism. Here is the kind of caliber of protest you get at the Women's March. Screeching, screaming, ah, F this, F that, getting little kids out there to scream vulgarities and obscenity, F this, F that. Obviously a dereliction of duty for parents, obviously a dereliction of duty and abuse of power from the media who are giving this so much attention. And it's a coarsening of society. It's a society that has never been, There has never been a freer society in the history of the world. There has never been a more equitable, more just society in the history of the world. And we're abusing that power that we are abusing that power in our personal behavior we're abusing it the way that we demonstrate and we're abusing it in the political process so we're gonna start impeachment this week the president is going to trial this is only the third impeachment trial in the history of the United States We had one in the 19th century, President Johnson. Then Then Richard Nixon resigned before he could be impeached. Then we had Bill Clinton in the 90s. Now we have President Trump. It is increasing. And what's so bizarre about this impeachment trial is in many ways it's a kind of reversal or a replay of the Clinton impeachment because on President Trump's legal team, you find Ken Starr. Ken Starr was the special prosecutor against Bill Clinton. Now he's defending President Trump. You've got Ken Starr and you've got Alan Dershowitz. So Alan Dershowitz is the Harvard Law professor. He doesn't even like Trump uh, politically. He didn't vote for Trump in 2016. He says he's not planning on voting for Trump in 2020. But he is showing up on behalf of the Constitution to explain why Democrats are abusing their power and why no impeachable offense has been committed and why this is a threat to our constitutional system. Here's Professor Dershowitz. My role is limited. I'm only going to appear on behalf of the Constitution making the arguments against impeachment based on the Constitution. I'm not part of the strategic legal team. I won't be involved in the debate over whether there are witnesses or no witnesses or whether or not the facts come out one way or the other. Uh, This is a role I've played before in other cases. Uh, I'm a specialist in uh, constitutional law. I've written three books and probably 25 articles on the impeachment clauses of the Constitution. So I will appear on Friday, make my argument to the Senate about the constitutional reasons why these two articles of impeachment don't satisfy the criteria, and then I'll answer questions from the senators, but that will be the extent of my role. So Dershowitz is this rare individual in American politics. Didn't used to be so rare, but these days he is. He's a guy who says, I'm going to divorce my legal opinion from my political preferences. Starting in the 1960s, the American left said the personal is the political. So there was no difference between the public and the private, what I personally want and what I can objectively say is true. Alan Dershowitz is the lone dissenter from that. He says, I I don't like Trump, I didn't vote for Trump, but I'm standing up for the Constitution because we have this wonderful constitutional system here that we are throwing away because we're getting so greedy, we're getting so selfish, we're we're so self-interested. There's a great irony to this, that Nancy Pelosi has foisted this on the country, because Nancy Pelosi, during the Clinton impeachment, talked about how the impeachment of Bill Clinton was all just about the personal grievances of Republicans who hated Clinton, who were out to get him, and now she's doing exactly the same thing. Here's Nancy Pelosi then. Right now we have a a situation where any and all grievances that anybody ever had with the president are being heaped on and uh, talking about impeachment without even defining what the laws may have been that were broken, with applying the facts to them uh, without even defining if even if those laws were broken, if that amounts to an impeachable offense. Now let's be clear, what Nancy Pelosi is saying is not true. The the case of the Clinton impeachment and the Trump impeachment are not comparable. Whatever you think about the Clinton impeachment, and with all the political aspect that all impeachments have, obviously Republicans wanted to get the guy, they didn't like him. However, Bill Clinton clearly committed an impeachable offense. He perjured himself. He lied under oath. He admitted that he lied to the American people. He said, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Uh." And then he had the gall, the temerity, when when asked about this, to say that it depends on what the definition of is is. Okay, the guy lied. What is the impeachable offense that Trump has committed? He made a phone call to Ukraine. Six out of seven of the House impeachment managers supported impeachment before anybody even knew about the Ukraine phone call. He didn't commit an impeachable offense. But even so, let's even say he did. Surely Nancy Pelosi could apply her own logic from the 90s to the present. Except she can't. Because politics for the left has become all about personal preference, not about the objective criteria of the Constitution, not about divorcing the personal from the political, not about accepting the duty that comes with being a representative in a republic such as ours. Just forcing your will on the people. Now, of course, this has helped President Trump. We're going to we'll give you a lot of coverage of impeachment all week. We'll give you what you need to know. Impeachment has helped Trump from the very beginning. From day one, this guy has been raising a ton of money on it, and his approval ratings have increased. The mainstream media, though, are trying to twist this. So Trump has absolutely blown past any of his Democratic rivals in their presidential campaigns in terms of fundraising. But the way the mainstream media is trying to spin it is they're saying, well, sure, that's true, but the Democratic field as a whole has outraised Donald Trump when you combine all the 355 candidates who are running as Democrats they have outraised Donald Trump therefore Trump is probably going to lose that's that's what the mainstream media are thrilled to report CNBC the 2020 Democratic field is outraising Trump by a huge margin that didn't happen to Obama or Bush uh, okay I mean that doesn't tell you the whole story it doesn't imply the Democrats are gonna beat Trump right because Obama raised more relative to his GOP challengers in 2012 than Trump is raising now relative to his Democratic challengers. But in 2012, the Republican field as a whole outraised Obama. It's the same situation. So if what the mainstream media were suggesting is true, we would probably be toward the end of the second Romney term right now, and we'd be getting ready for the Paul Ryan presidential run. But we're not, are we? Because that's not how it works. Now it wasn't true of Bush. Bush not only outraised in 2004 his Democratic challengers, he outraised all of them combined. The incumbent George Bush, the Republican, outraised all of those Democratic contenders combined. So what does this show right now? It doesn't show that because the field is outraising Trump, they're going to whoever the Democratic nominee is is going to beat Trump. Just as Romney didn't beat Obama. What it shows is greater polarization. It shows people are paying closer attention to politics. It shows people are much more tuned into politics. Politics has become more of a team sport. They're more willing to part with their money to give to Julian Castro or, or Tim Ryan or any, some of these candidates who just have no chance of winning. That's greater engagement. And I fear what that means is uh, people are making it much, much more personal. It's not cool. It's not objective. We're seeing this... at the the mainstream media level, when we talk about those candidates. So Elizabeth Warren just dropped another doozy of a lie. Elizabeth Warren, who formerly was the rising star, she had all the momentum, she was going to be the top of the field, she was going to get the nomination. Her campaign has collapsed. And so she's desperately trying to pitch herself as the the best candidate for the voters. At an Iowa campaign stop, she had one one of the great lies of her campaign, which is defined by them. She said, quote, Let me remind you, I think I'm the only one running for president who's actually been on the executive side. What does she mean by executive? She's running against Mike Bloomberg. Mike Bloomberg is one of the most successful executives in American business. Also, she's running against Bloomberg, who was the mayor of New York, and Buttigieg, who's the mayor of his small town in Indiana, and Bernie Sanders, who was the mayor of Vermont. They've all been executives. And Elizabeth Warren hasn't been an executive. She's been a professor and a senator. In her imagination, she was obviously a chieftain on the Great Plains, but she didn't actually do that. That was just a fantasy of hers that she tried to convince the American people of. Now, she might mean that she's the only one who's worked in the executive branch because she had the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. So she ran this little executive agency. She set it up. But she's running against Joe Biden, right? Joe Biden worked in the executive branch. I guess technically the vice president is the president of the Senate, which is legislative, but come on, give me a break, he's the vice president. And the president is the executive. I think he worked in the executive branch. He ran initiatives, Joe Biden, from the executive branch. Much bigger initiatives than Elizabeth Warren ever raised. She's just congenitally dishonest. She actually, she was asked about these lies, her, implied her own lies, and she was asked if it's okay to lie to the American public. She couldn't even say no. Is it disqualifying for a presidential candidate to lie to the American public about anything? Um, I, I would think that it, you know, how could the American people want someone who wants to? Um, I think that, that we just do our best out there every day. And I hope that's what happens with everyone. How can she bungle that question? That's the simplest question. Hey, candidate, do you think it's okay to lie? Well, I mean, you know, but obviously the reason she has to hem and haw over it is because she has famously lied about her DNA, her Indian ancestry that doesn't exist. She lied about being fired for being pregnant. She lied about her child's education. She lies about everything. And so she can't even answer the question, is it disqualifying to lie? Because it would disqualify her. That's why she keeps dropping in the polls, right? Her campaign, the American people have seen through it, I think, I think certainly the American people have. Even the Democratic primary voters appear to be seeing through it. Uh, A Survey USA nationwide Democratic poll shows Elizabeth Warren just keeps dropping down. So right now in first place is Biden still, 32%. In second place is Bernie at 21%, Liz Warren is now down at 14%. That's a big drop from when she was uh, poised to become the front runner. The people are seeing through her charade and yet the mainstream media are still carrying water for her. And this, this brings us right back to the power and responsibility. This shows a major flaw from the American left. Check out this crock that came out from MSNBC On the Bernie-Warren battle of who's telling the truth uh, about Bernie's alleged comments that a woman couldn't win in 2020. It, It would seem that Bernie's telling the truth here. He's got the better track record. There's no reason to believe that he's lying. There is reason to believe that Warren is lying. They can't prove that Warren's telling the truth. So MSNBC brings on a body language expert. Uh, whatever that is, to talk about how really, really when you look and when you think about it really hard, Bernie's probably lying. The thing about the, the this dust-up between the two of them is that scandals hurt you more when they seem plausible right Right. i mean bernie sanders does have a sort of physicality you know when he when he talks that is a shaking your finger at hillary clinton shaking your finger shovey weirdy you know his his physicality makes me think yeah he could have said you know listen i think in this environment a woman can't win that doesn't seem like a well first of all i think i think bernie's lying shovey weirdy a shaky, shovey, weirdy, that is what passes for political analysis on the left? Man, I gotta get a new job. Because when I when I try to prepare some political analysis on the right, I need to look at facts and figures and data and history and I have to incorporate all of that. If I'm on the left, I can just talk about my feels and that would, that would pass for political commentary. This is your brain on ideology. This is your brain on ideology where they just say, yeah, there's no evidence that Bernie's lying, but he's kind of shaky weirdy. He's kind of and I don't, you know, and then the the other woman says, "Yeah, I think he's lying because of his body language." That's your brain on ideology. And really what you get from the left is is intersectionality, right? It doesn't matter what Bernie says, it doesn't matter what Warren says. They're they're just judging people on these superficial characteristics or on these physical characteristics. So, They're judging people on their skin color, they're judging people by their sex, and without examining the particulars of any circumstance, they're saying we have to believe all women. Why, women can't lie, men do lie, so if it's a man versus a woman, the woman has to be telling the truth. The premise of intersectionality is that people can be divided up in a hierarchy of oppression, and the more oppressed people, more allegedly oppressed people, must always be believed over less oppressed people. So Bernie is an old white guy, three strikes against him, old white guy. And so he's less credible than any kind of woman, even if she's only one 1,024th Native American or not even that, much more likely. And it's not just MSNBC. MSNBC is certainly the most far left cable network. It's not just them. It's also the New York Times. This is the most obvious abuse of power in the mainstream media going on right now. And it's actually the direct parallel with what Harry and Meghan are doing. The New York Times has offered its endorsement in the 2020 Democratic presidential primary. But it doesn't want to offer an endorsement. It's offering two endorsements. It's, it's endorsing Elizabeth Warren and Amy Klobuchar. That's not how endorsements work. You can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't be all things to all people. You can't be a royal and not have to do any of the royal things. Even the New York Times editorial board, no one thinks they're gonna endorse Trump or anything like that, but at least make an endorsement. At least make a choice. Stop derelicting your duty. Do your job. They just picked the two women. I mean, I don't even know that they've listened to these people. Elizabeth Warren is is the most grating candidate in the race, and they went for her, and they went for Klobuchar. I suspect they just looked at that little hierarchy of oppression pyramid, and they said, okay, well, two women, yep, there we go, check the box. I do love to, they're so, they're so in their own heads that they don't see the ironies of what they're doing. Here is, it's a very, very long editorial. You can read it if you want, or don't, highly recommend you don't. When they get to Elizabeth Warren and why they're endorsing her in addition to Amy Klobuchar. This is the first sentence, I kid you not. The Onion couldn't have written it better. Babylon Bee couldn't have written it better. Why are they endorsing Warren? Senator Warren is a gifted storyteller. (laughs) Yeah, you don't say. She tells a lot of stories. She tells stories about her DNA. She tells stories about her kids' education. She tells stories about getting fired. She tells all sorts of stories. None of them have anything to do with the truth. But she tells stories. She speaks elegantly. That's that's the the first sentence, first two sentences. Senator Warren is a gifted storyteller. She speaks elegantly of how the economic system is rigged against all the wealthiest Americans, on and on and on. It doesn't open up by saying anything she's done. It says that she spins a good yarn. She tells a good tale, much like the New York Times. That's what the New York Times does too. The New York Times doesn't necessarily rely on facts. They've spread wholesale lies about President Trump, about the Russia hoax. They've spread all sorts of lies. But they spin a good yarn. They write elegantly. You know, they have very good diction and grammar. This is an absolute abuse of power. The mainstream media in this country have a lot of power. And the reason we go after them, the reason we go after the New York Times or less so MSNBC, but occasionally we knock them too. The reason we go after mainstream media organizations like the New York Times is not because they're left-wing. I don't care that they're left-wing. I often encourage people to read, I don't know, Vox.com or even the Huffington Post because they're clear about their point of view. They're gonna present the left-wing side of the argument. I think you should be exposed to the left-wing side of the argument so that you can answer it and you can figure out why it's wrong. That's not why we oppose groups like the New York Times. The reason, that the New York Times is so bad for the country is because they're so corrupt. And they're corrupt because they abuse their power. And you see it in the frivolity, the dereliction of duty in not choosing a a presidential endorsement. Like saying, yeah, I, I endorse the Yankees and the Red Sox for the World Series. You endorse the Yankees and the Red, you gotta pick one. You can't pick both of them. So they derelict their duty there. And then they derelict their duty to investigate, to look into facts, to to weigh the arguments on both sides. There's another great abuse that's going on right now beyond the mainstream media. It's happening in New York, which is where I happen to be for the next five or six hours. New York's sanctuary city policy under Mayor Bolshevik Bill de Blasio is a disaster. Here's one example that just, just came out within the past week the sexual assault and murder of a 92-year-old woman, Maria Fuertas in Queens, who was raped and killed by an illegal alien from Guyana who had been detained. He's an illegal alien. He had been detained and was released in New York in defiance of a federal detainer. So they they get him, they get the illegal alien. New York City says, we're gonna be a sanctuary city. You can't tell us what to do, Trump. You can't tell us what to do, immigration laws. You can't tell us what to do, American people. We're going to release this poor, wonderful, illegal alien. Guess what happens? He raped and killed a 92-year-old woman in Queens. Would not have happened. Would not have happened if they just followed the law. But it's because New York City, Bill de Blasio, they don't want to do their jobs. They don't want to do the hard things. They want to do the easy things that win them applause and then derelict their duty. We'll get to uh, the rest of this story, we will also get to the the most insane CNN headline and, uh, and a little bit of, we'll leave you on a little bit of hope as well. But first I've got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. All right. I want to talk to you about probably the most important fundamental issue in our country. And that is the right to life. We've got the March for life coming up. We have spoken out in favor of life and against the abortion industry repeatedly on this show, and we've been targeted for it. We have had pro-abortion advocates target our advertisers. The advertisers have then pulled money from our shows. It's why we rely and we're so grateful for the direct support of DailyWire.com members. They go after live action too. Live action, one of the most important pro-life organizations out there to spread awareness about this issue and to educate people about the horrific realities of abortion. So right now, until January 31st, We here at The Daily Wire are partnering with Live Action. A portion of any DailyWire.com membership will be donated to Live Action with the promo code Live Action, easy enough to remember. That will support awareness and education around the world on this important issue of life. Join us here at DailyWire.com, become a member, and make your pro-life voice even louder. Head on over to DailyWire.com slash subscribe. Pick the plan that's right for you for as little as 10 bucks a month. Members get our articles ad-free, access to all our live broadcasts and show library, the full 3 hours of the Ben Shapiro show, some bonus content, access to the mailbag and a lot more. Plus, now our all access tier gets you into exclusive live online q and discussions with me, which would be enough. That would be enough, Diana. With Ben, with Drew, with Matt, with Daily Wire writers and special guests and don't forget You will also get the most wonderful of all beverage vessels, the Leftist Tears Tumbler. So stop depriving yourself. Treat yourself a little. Look, we're living in a great time of decadence, okay? Everyone else is doing it. You should treat yourself, too. Head on over, join the fun, dailywire.com. We'll be right back with a lot more. Formal politics. Is hard. It can be a little dry. It's detached. It's, at its best, dispassionate. It requires you to do hard things. Increasingly, our elected officials are not willing to do that. Nowhere is this clearer than Bill de Blasio in New York. Does anybody really defend, in principle, open borders? Does anybody really, I'm I'm not talking about these crazy people on Twitter or something, I'm talking about the vast majority of sensible people. On the the left, I suppose, and the center and the right. Does anybody really defend the idea that a people are not allowed to define their own immigration laws? Do They really defend the idea that anyone can go willy-nilly into any country they want at any time and you can't stop them? I don't think so. I think really the way the argument works for the left is is just emotional manipulation. They say, "Look at this person. Look at your good friend Jose, who's an illegal alien who came here 30 years ago, and he's got a beautiful, wonderful family. He goes to church on Sunday. He does his job very well. He's hardworking. He's wonderful, and he's more American than apple pie." You want to deport that guy? And say, "No, of course not. Everyone likes him. He's doing all the right stuff." But, as a, in principle, we want to deport illegal aliens. And by the way. For every story of a nice guy who's raising a family and he's being, living the American dream, you get a story of this illegal alien from Guyana who, who commits heinous crimes and who was released by New York City in defiance of the federal law, in defiance of a federal detainer because it's so much easier to, to let these guys go and feel really good and win all the feels of your radical leftist base. Now, fortunately, the uh, U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE, is now no longer requesting that New York follow the law. They are demanding it. Uh, Henry Lucero, who's a senior ICE official, told the AP, this is not a request. It's a demand. This is a last resort for us. Dangerous criminals are being released every single day in New York. New York City will not change the policies that have made this is according to Bill de Blasio, then he responds to them and say, New York City will not change the policies that have made us the safest big city in America. Not safe for Maria Fuertes, who's no longer with us and who was tortured at the end of her life because of your fecklessness. They just just won't do it. I mean, Mayor de Blasio is governing his city like a child would govern. But you, you can't do that. You can't just get all the plaudits and all the perks and let everybody go without... Enforcing the law without exacting justice, without following the laws. You can't do that. So I'm not terribly hopeful for New York. I'm not terribly hopeful for the left. I'm not terribly hopeful for the mainstream media. But I am generally hopeful for the country because whenever you see the, the, the crazy stories out of the New York Times or out of Buckingham Palace, out of the Royals across the UK or in the Gracie Mansion, the mayor's house in in New York. For every one of those stories, you see the American people looking through the BS, all right? That's why Elizabeth Warren's campaign needs to be floated by the New York Times. It's why CNN is so desperate to keep her campaign afloat. Is the the voters don't like it. They're seeing through that. I mean, that's how we got Trump in 2016. And and Trump just keeps doing this. I mean, there there was, it's obviously at the big level, the economy is doing very well, jobs are doing very well, these macro policies are great, we killed that guy Suleimani in Iran, but it's even down to the micro level. President Trump, this is one of the great stories, put a smile on my face, President Trump announced on Friday that they plan to roll back school breakfast and lunch nutrition guidelines that Michelle Obama pushed. So Michelle Obama took away kids' good lunches and made them eat like one stick of carrots or something. You know, just gross, nobody wants that. No self-respecting 12-year-old wants to eat celery sticks instead of pizza at lunch. Let the kids have their pizza. But (laughs) President Trump chose to announce this on Michelle Obama's birthday. (laughs) So I don't think this was a coincidence. I think it was pretty clear. He's really sticking it in the eye. And so much of his administration is a stick in the eye. He was elected with no prior political experience as a stick in the eye to an establishment that people feel is no longer representing them and to an establishment that people feel is derelicting their duty that goes to fancy lunches and talks about how wonderful they all are and has their blue check marks and complains all the time and, and really sneers and looks with disdain on their fellow Americans, but who are not actually doing their job. They're not doing the journalism. They're not doing the governing. They're not they're not doing what they are supposed to be doing. And so we elected President Trump, and from trade policy in China, to policy, uh, geopolitics and foreign affairs in the Middle East, to school lunches on Michelle Obama's birthday, he he is uh, acting as that stick in the eye. And it's why many people will say, I don't like Trump, I don't like his tweets, I don't like the way he behaves, but darn it, I like what he's doing. Uh, and And looking forward to 2020, That argument hasn't changed and the left hasn't offered an alternative. They haven't learned that lesson. Another stick in the eye Trump just tweeted out is New York wants 200 billion dollars for a seawall because global warming is going to sink New York. Remember Al Gore predicted this 15 years ago, and then it didn't happen. And he predicted it about Florida, and it didn't happen. But anyway, they want to build that wall. They want to build a seawall to protect New York from the sun monster. They don't want to build a a wall on our southern border to to prevent the illegal aliens who are flooding into this country from coming over. No, they're going to protect us from, from climate Armageddon. So Trump tweets out about this. He says, quote, A massive $200 billion seawall built around New York to protect it from rare storms is a costly, foolish, and environmentally unfriendly idea that, when needed, probably won't work anyway. It will also look terrible. Sorry, you'll just have to get your mops and buckets ready. (laughs) I think that could be the slogan of his campaign. Get your mops and buckets ready, referring not just to the rare storms, but also to the constant torrent of leftist tears. Get your mops and buckets ready, Trump 2020. I think that's a a pretty serious pitch. Regardless of what you think of a guy like Trump, the message of the Trump campaign is, hey, shut up with the complaining, shut up with the microaggressions, shut up with the political correctness, shut up with looking down on your fellow Americans, and just do your job be happy. Things are going well. The economy is great. When he jokes about how he's the greatest president ever, he's your favorite president ever. What lies at the bottom of that joke and the kind of egotism and the bragging is a, a certain gratitude. Hey, things are going pretty well. If you can't enjoy this right now, when are you going to enjoy it? If really, if you put your hope in politics, which is a bad idea, but if you do that, and you can't have a good time in politics while your rights are being protected, while consumer confidence is up, manufacturing confidence is up, we're killing the top terrorists in the world, we're getting stronger trade deals. If you, unemployment is at record lows across every demographic. If you can't enjoy that politics, you're never going to enjoy politics. You're just gonna complain and whine and it, it, nothing will ever be good enough. That's not the right way to think about it. Don't, don't look at politics from a perspective of entitlement and rights, primarily. Look at it from a perspective of gratitude and duty and obligation. This was uncontroversial when JFK said it at his inauguration half a century ago, asking not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Now, that is very controversial, and the American left, and even part of the right, doesn't want to believe it. And it's why, over in the UK, you get people like the artist formerly known as Prince Harry, and in America, you get the shrieking left and the feckless and irresponsible news media that are going to be covering a feckless and irresponsible impeachment from feckless and irresponsible cities like New York all the way to Washington, D.C., all around the country. Well, we will be covering them, and I bet we're going to have a great time doing it as the leftist tears flow. So get your mops and buckets ready. That's our show. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow. senior producer jonathan hay supervising producers mathis glover and robert sterling technical producer austin stevens assistant director pavel wadowski editor and associate producer danny D'Amico, audio mixer robin fenderson hair and makeup jesua olvera production assistants mckenna waters and ryan love the michael knowles show is a daily wire production copyright daily wire 2020 on the matt Walsh show we're not just discussing politics, we're talking culture, faith, family, all of the things that are really important to you. So come join the conversation.